Influence with Michelle Martin on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. So, if you haven't heard of Salad Stop, well, I think you must be, you know, in the minority here in Singapore. Last week was a momentous week for Asia's first and largest healthy food chain. They've recently closed a $12 million Series B investment round, featuring some of the most prominent investors here in the region. Among those who participated in the oversubscribed round was Tomasic, as well as new investors Vulcan Capital, K3 Ventures, and East Ventures. They all already impacts three and a half million people a year, but the group wants to do more through their new cloud kitchens, fostering more tech-enabled growth with their proprietary technologies and leveraging their ecosystem of food tech partners. We're going to find out what Salad Stop plans to do with that 12 million and what's next for them in terms of growth. I understand earlier this month, Salad Stop launched Good Food People, a new plant-based online grocer. So a lot to get through. First up, let's check in with Adrian Debaye, co-founder and CEO of the Salad Stop Group. Welcome to the show, Adrian. Thank you, Michelle. Great to be with you. Well, help us understand what does it take for a company to gain Tomasic's interest? Um, I, I think, well, it was a huge milestone for us. I think we obviously are thrilled about having Tomasic and you know, a lot of strategic value-aligned partners um, I think for Tomasek, you know, they just announced last week that they're also building a new sustainable food platform. Mm-hmm. And I think they're really looking at building out the whole ecosystem. Uh, and that, you know, is all the way from the farm uh, all the, and to, to, you know, the consumer facing business such as salad stock. So when, you know, uh, we started speaking with them, I think their obviously goals here are much larger. Um, and, and I think we really play into that whole ecosystem that they're building. And how does this round of funding change the valuation of Salad Stop, Adrian? So I think for us, you know, this is a huge step forward um, in our journey. I mean, we started off as a family business 12 years ago, you know, put all of our life savings in it. Um, and, you know, where we are today is obviously with um, such large backing, um, we're able to really uh, create a huge impact, uh, not just in our own business, obviously, but I think in the communities that we serve. And so having Tomasek and all these other value line partners, I think, really allows us to sort of come in with that firepower uh, moving forward. All right. So you're not going to share the change in valuation with us? Not, so that, that, not that's yet. confidential for now. But, <laughs> but I think, you know, the, the, for us, really, um, that has uh, continued to grow. And, and I think, you know, having Tomasek just uh, as, a, as an investor on board, I think, already brings an enormous amount of value. But... Um, I think, you know, what we really were able to prove over this period, and I think this really kind of uh, proved to Tomasek and, and a lot of other investors how resilient the business was. And I think through COVID, um, you know, I can share a little bit later on how mm-hmm. how much we had pivoted online. And I think that really was able to demonstrate the strength of, of what we can do moving forward. So I'm a fan of your salad bowls, um, you know, because I think one of your outlets is close to my gym. And, you know, I... I Really good job. I haven't been able to not have a salad stop bowl since I've encountered it. But I have since learned that you have four brands, Haybo, Wushi, and Good Food People. So tell us a little bit about how this round of funding is going to be used. So Haybo was built actually um, two years ago. So we launched it just before COVID. Um, mm-hmm. That's a warm grain bowl concept. Uh, targeted at a slightly different audience. I mean, the positioning is a little bit lower than salad stock, mainly grain-based. Um, so all the options are actually warm. 
Uh, Wuxi is a rice roll brand um, targeting a little bit more the youth and uh, particularly adaptable, obviously, being rice-based. You know, you can have it in a sushi format or you can have it in a bowl format. Uh, and in Good for People, like you mentioned before, is our online um, plant-based grocer. And so that's a new vertical for us, but part, sort of forms part of the whole uh, offering anyways that, uh, you know, we especially at Salastop very much believe in and push forward. Uh, so those brands were built because we saw that, you know, especially in, in some of the regional markets that were in, Salastop was going to plateau and, you know, it might be difficult to grow um, beyond sort of 30 to 35 stores in Indonesia, for example. But Wuxi and Hebel really allow us to go much deeper in those markets. So, you know, when we look at a pre-grade mall in Jakarta, for example, Salastop might not really fit there, but Hebel and Wuxi go in perfectly. Um, going into Surabaya, Medan, those markets, again, a little bit more challenging for sales stuff today, but that's really why we became sort of a more multi-brand company. All right. And I understand you're aiming for your first net zero outlet in 2020. Now, what needs to happen for this to become a reality? How will your net zero outlet, um, you know, be able to work? So we're looking at it in, in two different ways. One is obviously how we built the store. Um, so we're working with a few architects now. And the landlords, you know, the the site that we are taking over is Capital Spring, which is a new uh, building in the CBD by Capital Land. Mm -hmm. And so the first part is obviously on on just the the fit out and what materials can we use that really reduce that uh, carbon footprint as much as possible. The second, which we've already worked on for quite a few years now, is on the traceability. So really going down through the whole supply chain uh, and ensuring that we reduce our carbon footprint as much as possible. Um, you know, uh, two years ago, we already launched an initiative which allowed customers to carbon offset their meal at Salastop. So when they walk into Salastop, if they order through our app, they're able to toggle and, and uh, add 20 cents, for example, based on what they've chosen uh, and be able to walk out of the store carbon positive. So that, that was already an initiative that we had launched. So we already have that carbon footprint of every ingredient. Now it's really sort of taking it a step further and moving Salastop into even more of a plant-based direction to reduce that footprint. And so, you know, we're going to look at it obviously very holistically, and that even includes, you know, the packaging that we use from the central kitchen to the store, uh, and even the, the, the packaging that we have in the outlet. Uh, but for us, you know, this will be, I guess, the first proof of concept, really allowing us to continuously improve. And every outlet that we renovate or that we build overseas, we would use that sort of same blueprint. Interesting. So you're repurposing a physical outlet? Yes. So we are, we are potentially working with two different architects that have quite a lot of experience in bringing in recycled plastic, um, various even cement, and uh, repurposing that uh, into different forms. Uh, and so, you know, some of it obviously will need to follow local government regulations, so it needs to be fireproof and all that. So we're not going to be able to build everything using recycled uh, materials, but I think the idea here is that we, you know, we try to showcase what is possible. Uh, and, you know, I think there's, there's obviously a lot of momentum in Singapore now on the green initiatives. Uh, and I think this is where, you know, we're starting to meet also a lot more like-minded people. I want to just pick up on something that you mentioned a while ago, and that is allowing customers to carbon offset their meal. And I understand you say you're the first and only business in Asia that allows for this. What is the sort of data mapping um, that makes this uh, reality, that allows for this to happen? Good question, because I think that's, you know, we also had to actually go through a lot of that certification and making sure that these values are all correct. Um, And so, 
the, the first step was actually uh, approaching ASTAR, who, who we worked with um, to break all of this information down. But it was also actually asking our suppliers the hard questions, because even for them, sometimes they didn't fully trace that ingredient back to the farm. So uh, these are all the questions and then we continue to ask, because sometimes, you know, they also are aggregators. And so they will go to a market in Malaysia, for example, and just buy certain ingredients that, you know, their, their customers need in Singapore. So you know, we're constantly kind of pushing the boundaries there. But uh, with ASTAR, we were able to really validate it and, and make sure that those numbers are correct. And this varies uh, on the customer side. I could be paying a little more or a little less because it's tailored to every meal that I buy at Salad Stop through your app? That's right. So today, the, the, the system just kind of uh, takes an, an average of, of what our menu offers and what a, a typical bowl would be. But moving forward in the next few months, that's, that's the level of detail we want to get into. So we really have that information. Now it's just about building the technology pieces. All right. 50% of your sales today, I understand, is generated online and a substantial proportion through your group's direct channels. What do you think then is the future of bricks and mortar when it comes to F&B and retail in a post-COVID world? Well, I think COVID definitely has made a lot of people uh, try to order online. And I think, you know, some have had success, some haven't. But I think um, for restaurants, I think it definitely was eye-opening. Um, I think it allowed us, it allowed everyone to see sort of the new opportunities um, that could uh, could emerge once you really uh, push online. But I think from a customer standpoint, I think it will really sort of be split in two ways moving forward. I think one is on the experiential side. So I think a lot of restaurants that, you know, you still go to, um, on, on a weekend or that you're really looking for that, that unique experience, I think we'll, we'll still be a bit more brick and mortar. But I think we've all seen that customers now really demand convenience uh, and they're willing to pay for it, I think, as well. I think, you know, free delivery is just not happening as often as well from the big big three in Singapore. Uh, and so I think the challenge really for a lot of F&B operators will be how do you translate that offline experience online? And that's what we are very, very focused on. We're really focused on how do we uh, bring value to customers uh, moving forward and continue to transition more of that business from the third parties back in-house because we think that we can actually offer a better experience for our own customers with our, own, with our specific product category uh, and you know, really moving into the personalized nutrition space. So really customizing every meal to the individual's needs and creating an even better experience that they would have anywhere else. I'm Michelle Martin speaking with movers and shakers in the world of business. And today I speak with Adrian Debaye, co-founder and CEO of the Salad Stop Group. They recently closed a $12 million Series B investment round. Adrian, welcome back to the show. Help us understand what you see as likely to happen next when we talk about technology and the future of food. What is Salad Stop going to be investing in? So we'll be focusing a lot on building out our own proprietary technology. Um, I think we really see that the future of food is, is going to be part, well, we will play into, into a huge ecosystem. And I think, you know, when we look at the traceability side of things, so really being able to go down to the farm and, and the farm, even in this sense, will mean, you know, your traditional farm that we're all used to. And now in Singapore, you know, agri-tech and, and food tech taking over that space. So I think we, we see that obviously being a huge part of it and, and technology um, being able to map that and how we are able to bring that information to a customer can be incredibly powerful. I mean, just to give you an example, you might, you know, have 
your kale that is locally grown and harvested that morning and you know exactly you know that it was pesticide free and and, uh, and and grown in certain conditions in Singapore you know within 10 kilometers of the store so so that's sort of on the traceability side and the supply chain that we want to get into on the front end you know we really see something very interesting happening we see a lot of data being collected on what we call the, the front end of personalized nutrition, right? So mm-hmm. when, when you, you know, everyone now is wearing an Apple Watch or Fitbit or an Aura Ring, and everyone is tracking a lot of different bits of data, but mm-hmm. they're not necessarily able to see how that translates into food. Mm-hmm. And so what we want to do is be basically part of that um, translation and, and being able to operationalize that. Wow, that's um, going to be we so already exciting. Have, mm-hmm. We're incredibly excited because, you know, I think everyone is, is built differently. I think we're learning a lot more about um, gut microbiome and, and, you know, your DNA and how so many different things affect your food choices or what you should be having every day. But I think a lot of people just don't have that information. They, they're starting to see a lot of that data pop up and how they are tracking their health. But again, how do they use that in their everyday life? That I think could be incredibly powerful moving forward. And we have, you know, today already a whole infrastructure built. You know, we have 69 outlets, we're in eight markets. So we're able to have that impact regionally. And so the tech team that we're bringing in-house really is going to be focused on building out that layer. And really, for us, the ultimate goal is to become, you know, the, the leading personalized nutrition company. Wow. So if my watch could tell you exactly what I needed and you could send me a bowl that was exactly what I needed to get my energy <laughs> exactly. levels up, that would be perfect. All right. So the perception exactly. here in Asia is that, you know, eating healthy may not be as affordable as what we can get yeah. our hands on mm-hmm. in terms of street food or, you know, beloved hawker fare, for example. So mm-hmm. salads mm-hmm. look like they come with a price tag of at least $7. Plate of chicken rice, $3. So how are you looking at making healthy, affordable eating choices here in Asia, something that resonates with the local population? It's a very good question and, and something that we actually had to address 12 years ago. Um, you know, when we started Salad Stop, people thought we were nuts to say, you know, who's going to have a salad? And, and you know, our, our challenge was really to uh, appeal to the locals here. You know, I mean, expats, I think, naturally gravitated to this product uh, 12 years ago, but... You know, we had to convince people, and it was the same uh, challenge we had uh, 12 years ago. You know, how do you move from a chicken rice? And, and by the way, I, I love my local food. I grew up in Singapore. So, Good to know. You know, I, I definitely also have that uh, once in a while. But um, I think the, you know, the challenge really was, you know, how, how you convince people. And I think that, that, you know, the challenge that we pose ourselves all the time is, you know, what, what do we need to do to demonstrate the value of, of the product, right? And, and again, that goes down to the traceability, you know, that we don't use any preservatives in any of our dressings. It's all homemade, fresh every day. So I think when you explain the process behind it, I think, you know, we've come a long way from 12 years ago. Uh, you know, I think the market has evolved tremendously. You have different healthy food players. I mean, we do, we focus a bit more on the salads, but I think people kind of see the value in, in, in that whole array of, of options. And, you know, even finding actually a $3 chicken rice is actually becoming increasingly hard as well. So the gap has narrowed from, you know, where we were 12 years ago to where we are today. Can you take us back to 12 years ago with the family mm-hmm. sitting around a table and you're deciding, okay, let's start this business. What were the plans then? So the plans then, I think, were, you know, still actually very similar to where they are today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we knew very well that we were not going to build a, a, a restaurant that just you know, was very rigid in terms of its offerings. So, for example, we didn't say that it had to be organic. Um, it didn't have to be 100% plant-based. We really wanted to cater to as wide of an audience as possible. 
and build a model that was scalable. For us, it was key that you know we needed to grow quickly in Singapore, but we needed something that we could also export internationally. So the way we had built out our operations, the menu, all of that was very much with that kind of mindset. And you know, as, as you look at the business today, I mean, we follow very much the same rules, right? We 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 look at how we can continue to scale the business now with new brands uh, and again going into markets that. You know, our first international markets was the Philippines. Um, and again, people thought that, you know, we should have probably gone into Hong Kong or Japan or slightly more mature markets. Um, but actually, the Philippines was a slam dunk for us. You know, we have 16 outlets there today. It's you know, some of our best performing stores are in the Philippines. Um, and it just shows, again, the demand for healthy food. I think if you're able to adapt, adapt it to local taste buds uh, and really able to work with local ingredients, which we were very, very focused on, mm. um, I think that really is the, the sort of key to success. So Hebo Wushi, you know, this focus on warm food or rice base, um, instinctively mm. as someone who is local, you think that's, that's a money winner, that, that's it right there, we hate cold salads. So how much, in terms of ideation, how much is informed by, you know, the group around the table, the, the co-founders, and how much are you picking up from what your customers are telling you? A lot, exactly. So I think we learned so much with Salad Stop uh, over the years that Hebo and, and Wuxi, if you look at them you know, in detail, we were very much shaped uh, because of those learnings. So you know, we also have a team that has actually been with us for a very long time. We're, we're very fortunate to have you know, a lot of our outlet managers and our you know, corporate office that have been with us for almost 10 years. So I think you know, they also bring a lot of their own ideas. And uh, I think with Hebo, it was a little bit trickier actually to position that brand because salad stuff, I think it's very clear, you know, the, the focus on kind of the raw ingredients and nutrient dense food. Table was sort of uh, overlapping a little bit to what you would see, you know, in a hawker center. I mean, it's still a, a rice bowl, grain bowl, protein bowl, all of that kind of really existed. So we needed to kind of carve out our own niche. And then also at the same time, think of what did that, adaptation would be internationally. And so, you know, when we looked at it, we were already in touch with all of our international partners because we knew very well that they would need to take on the brands moving forward. So I think, again, it becomes a, you know, huge collaboration among not just the, the corporate office in Singapore, but then, you know, customers in the Philippines and Indonesia um, and, uh, and in Singapore. All right. Well, help us understand what's ahead and next for Salad Stop. Do you have plans to go public? And if so, where could you be looking at listing? I think the focus, uh, to be honest, is really the Series B right now. That, you know, is a huge milestone for us. That really will be the focus over the next uh, two years just to deploy this capital. Um, looking at, obviously, future fundraising options is, is already something that we're thinking of today. Um, I think we're going to be on such a high growth trajectory that it's going to require additional funding. But I think we, you know, we've also, as a business, always been focused on building the right fundamentals. And I think moving forward, that will not change. Yes, we will grow a lot quicker and we will um, spread our wings across even more markets. But I think, you know, we also want to make sure that that growth um, doesn't come at the expense of a lot of other things. So, um, you know, we, we now have incredibly strategic value aligned partners um, that that again bring a lot of weight to the table um, can can bring us very very far and that's what we're excited about is really this 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 milestone for us is huge it's a it's a huge leap for us moving forward all right well congratulations and thank you for being here with us on influence 
Thanks so much, Michelle. Adrian Debaye is co-founder and CEO of the Salad Stop Group. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.